God in the world, and that's our natural response. And certainly the idea of forgiving of the person who hurt us is not the first thing that goes to our mind. Certainly not our first response. As one pastor has written in speaking about forgiveness, he says, nothing is more foreign to the sinful nature than forgiveness. But nothing is more characteristic of God's divine grace or goodness. And it's true. Even the world, when you think about it, understands that the Christian life is a life that is marked by forgiveness. Of people learning and showing forgiveness. There's a man named Henry Wingblade. He used to say that the Christian personality is hidden deep within us. And he says it's unseen like soup being carried in a terrine high above the waiter's head. And he said, no one knows what's inside until someone bumps him and he trips and the soup flies. And that's true with the Christian life. He says, no one sees what's inside of us until we're bumped and we're tripped and they see the fruit of the Spirit of God come out within us. In life, we will get bumped. We will get hurt. We will, may even get pushed. And it's at those times that who we are in Jesus Christ should be seen. And so as we continue our series on consistency, which is just matching who we are in Jesus Christ with the way we live, I want us to look at the importance of forgiveness in our lives. Of the fact that we are forgiven, and therefore we should be also forgiving so in Ephesians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 31 and 32. And in verse 31, Paul is going to list some natural responses which are to be removed from the Christian life. You may have your notes if you want to fill them in for your small group. Unfortunately, I ha actually have another sheet that was supposed to go on the back, but technical difficulties. So you may have to scribble today and some of the other thoughts. But we'll talk. at least you have the notes of the, the negative, what to put off. But Paul says, as children of God, there are some things, some responses that should not be a part of our lives, that we need to remove, especially in those times of conflict. Because you see, these sins involve conflict between people, whether that be believer and unbeliever, and even worse yet, believer against a believer. These sins, in verse 31, break fellowship. They destroy relationships. They weaken the church. And they mar its testimony to the world. And when an unbeliever sees a Christian acting like what we'll see in verse 31, he sees someone just acting like the rest of society. And the church loses its glory, its difference in the world. So the proper response will be in verse 32, and we'll get to that. But for now, let's look at verse 31 and see what Paul says of things that we should put off. Notice verse 31, chapter 4. The Bible says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. 
what a list. Paul tells the church at Ephesus to get rid of those natural responses, to remove them, get them out of there. Let it not be. Well, what are those responses we're to get rid of? Well, we've read them, but the first one is bitterness. I don't know. Cecil can see up there. I certainly can't. All right, so get rid of bitterness. Bitterness. Well, what is bitterness? Well, here it is. Bitterness is a resentful disposition and an inward hardness of spirit. It's the attitude that refuses to be reconciled. Has you ever, ever know, run across somebody who's just so bitter that they don't care? They do not want to resolve the problem. They would rather just sit and be angry. And really, there's a reason why that. Because you, then you can blame all your woes on everybody else while you sit and be angry. And that's exactly why they do it. They get bitter. They don't want to reconcile. That's what it's talking about. Paul says, get rid of it. This thought of not desiring to be reconciled, it should not be in the Christian's life. He goes on and says, not only that, but get rid of the wrath. The wrath. Well, what is the wrath? The wrath there, those are those times of explosions when you've had enough and you've reacted in anger. Right? Ever been there? <laughs> yeah. You've just been pushed too far and then boom! And everything flies out. The wrath. Get rid of it. Paul also says, not only to get rid of the wrath, but get rid of the anger. And we talked already a lot about this anger. But this anger we're speaking about here is that internal smoldering. The settled, deep-seated feelings of anger that follow the outburst. You know, it's one thing you get, you get angry, you let it out, and then you're still angry, and it just, it just sits in there, and you're just smoldering inside, and you've just got this anger festing. And we already talked about that earlier, and Paul says, when you don't resolve it, you're giving a foothold to the devil. That's exactly what happened. We get upset, we get angry, we explode, and then we just sit in that anger, and we get bitter, and we get angry, and we let the devil have an opportunity in our lives. Because when we respond out of anger, nothing good comes from it. And so Paul says, look, get rid of it. Get it out of your life. He goes on, and he has some more things to say. Not only do we get rid of that, but we're to get rid of the brawling. Now, this is an interesting word, or clamor in some versions. Here, the word is in reference to shouting. This is that noisy assertiveness or outburst that reflects a loss of control. You ever seen anybody like that? Just out of control, just gets loud and loud and just, uh, you know, just brawling, just yelling, just shouting. Just remove that. Get it out. All this anger and bitterness is just, a, just an explosion. And he also says, get rid of the slander. Get rid of the slander. Here, this is the defamation of a person which is arising from a bitter and angry heart. 
Well, how easy is it when we get upset at someone to, to say something negative, right? I mean, that is usually the easiest way to get back. We'll go tell somebody, so-and-so is blankety-blank-blank. And we defame them and we put them down so that we can what? Build ourselves up. Well, that happens all the time. We tear down people who lift us up. And especially if you've been hurt by that person. Now you want to tear them down and we want to lift ourselves up. Get our allies with us. Slander. And Paul says, uproot them. Get rid of them. Get rid of it. Those attitudes just destroy relationships. Uproot them. And to further add, he goes one step further. He says, get rid of malice. Malice. Get rid of the root of this whole issue. Get rid of that malice that's in your heart. Malice is that mean spirit or vicious attitude or disposition. Get rid of it. Notice that these sins stem from the attitudes that we have in our hearts. It all starts here, and then it works its way out. Whether that's in slander, whether that's in outburst, whether that's in some other form of violence. It starts in our hearts. What was your response the last time someone hurt you? Think about it. What was your response? I mean, we've all been there. We've all been hurt. You know, perhaps you felt the urge to retaliate. Maybe you didn't take action, but instead you harbored bitterness in your heart. If so, you failed to realize the great damage you do to yourself when you have an unforgiving spirit. And this is really the key, guys. Unforgiveness in our lives not only hurts our relationships, it's going to hurt you personally. It is going to hurt you personally. Failure to forgive is a devastating form of self punishment. It is. You know, I read a sad story this week. Several years ago, there was an elderly woman who passed away. And family members were cleaning out her house. And when they found a scrapbook, uh, they found a scrapbook filled with obituaries from the local newspaper. Many of the death notices that this lady kept pertained to people she had detested. As a bizarre as it may sound, she kept a scrapbook of her dead enemies. Oh, think about that. <laughs> I'm not sure how to interpret that amen. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> this woman had five different clippings of her most despised foe in her morbid memory. Five different clippings of the one she despised the most. Apparently, she gained some strange satisfaction by thinking that they could torment no, her no longer. The sad thing was, they were. The fact that she kept that memory book they kept tormenting her. Well, why is that? 
because she couldn't forgive. And she was entrapped. She was the one in bondage. How sad it is having all that bitterness and anger raging inside of you for the rest of your life. All because she couldn't forgive. Is there a better way to respond to our hearts and conflicts than making a memory book with your enemies in it? Absolutely. Absolutely there is. And Paul's going to encourage him in verse 32 to live in a way that will resolve these issues. And again, it begins in our heart. A heart, by the way, for us that's been changed by God. Amen? Is there a better way? Absolutely, because of our position in Jesus Christ. Because our hearts have been changed by God's power. And since we have the Holy Spirit living within us, we have a, the power to live in a way differently than those of the world who harbor that bitterness and anger in us. So what is that? Well, let's look at verse 32. Verse 32, and we'll look, out, look at those things that we're to put on. Verse 32, Paul says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. What a great passage of Scripture. Paul says, really, he's saying become. Become what? Well, the first thing he says is to become or be kind. Be kind. What does that mean? Well, to be kind is to show a sweet and generous disposition. I mean, there should be a difference in our lives. We ought to be kind people with a, a disposition that is not mean and angry and bitter, but kind, generous, a sweet dis disposition. I mean, how are you going to win anybody for Christ if nobody can stand being around you? <laughs> so we're to be kind. Paul says put that on. Let that spirit come out. Let the fruit of the spirit be seen in your attitude. So be kind. But it's not just that we're to be kind. It goes even deeper than that. We're to be compassionate. Compassionate. And compassion is more than just being nice to people. There we go. Oops. It is that we are to have feelings, tender feelings or care for that person. Literally, the word talks about the intestines. And, and it was having healthy intestines, I think is the Greek word there. And that's because they believed that their, the feelings, the emotions, were deep-seated. They were down in your intestines. We, much, we usually say the heart. Okay, so what you're trying to say is we need to really care about people from deep within. Listen, it is hard to be bitter to somebody if you really, truly care about them. It's tough. Well, you can be frustrated and you can be upset, but, you know, to hold that anger, to hold that bitter is tough. Well, that's why I say all the time when we get upset with each other, one of the best things you can do is start praying for that person because it changes your attitude towards them. If you really care. So we're to be compassionate. I mean, we're to care. We're to care what happens. Their welfare. 
And the third thing, as we see up there, is to be forgiving. To be forgiving. We're to be kind. We are to be compassionate. And we're to be forgiving. Unlike that person that is bitter, harboring an attitude which will not forgive, God's people are to be forgiving. Forgiving. Now, what is forgiveness? This is taken from Charles Stanley, so I'll give credit where credit is due. Forgiveness is the willingness to give up your resentment towards someone who has wronged you, regardless of how serious or painful that wrong might have been. Now notice, this is the right thing to do, but let me tell you, it's also a very difficult thing to do. That's why we need God's help to do this. In other words, you renounce any desire to get even. That's forgiveness. We can identify three elements to forgive us. Number one, to give up the resentment about the wrong. Number two, we are to give up the resentment toward the wrongdoer. And number three in forgiveness to give up the plans for retaliation. That's forgiveness. That is forgiveness. It's a willful choice to forgive. It starts with a willful choice. So you can make a willful choice to forgive even if you don't feel like forgiving. I'll let you stew and think through that one. This is a command, not optional. It starts with a cognitive choice to forgive. Then our heart will follow. That's the order. We're to forgive. We're not to, we're to let it go. You know, the Bible, we always get this wrong, and we say this all the time. We, you need to forgive and forget. Well, let's be real. If the hurt is hard enough, you're not going to forget it. But even God doesn't do that. The Bible says that he does not remember. He chooses not to remember your sins. How can an omniscient God not know anything? But he chooses not to remember. That's forgiveness. And that's what we need to do, is choose not to remember. Our tendency is to bury the hatchet and leave the handle sticking up a little bit. All right? We want to play that card next time we get hurt. And, you know, and, I, and one thing, I'm, this is off my notes, but one thing I've found is forgiveness isn't like this one-time act. I mean, it's a continual process of not bringing it up, choosing not to bring that up. So in order for us to truly forgive, forgiveness must be more than just saying some words. It must come from our hearts. It has to come from our hearts. It has to come. There was a wife of a Zulu chief who attended a Salvation Army meeting and heard and responded to the gall of Jesus Christ in her life. When her husband heard of this, he forbade her to go again to hear preaching to that service on pain of death. However, eager to hear more about Jesus, she dared to go. 
And when her husband knew of this, he met her on her return journey and beat her so savagely that he left her for dead. By and by, his curiosity moved him to go back and look for her. She was not where he had left her, but noticed broken twigs and found her lying under a bush. Covering her with his cruel eyes, he leered, And what can your Jesus Christ do for you now? She opened her eyes and looking at him, said gently, He helps me to forgive you. And therein lies our power to forgive. It's the Spirit of God working in our hearts that helps us to forgive. That response that she made can only be made through the power of God. And I am amazed at how people can forgive others even in the midst of the most incredible pain. And I look at that and I hear them and I think that has to be God. Because my natural response would not be that. That has to be God working in their hearts. That strength can only come from the hand of God. Yeah, you know, it's a truly sad thing that we hear these great stories of incredible forgiveness and, 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 and pain that is just indescribable. Yet, we have the hardest time forgiving one another for things and the grand scheme of things don't make a hill of beans. Isn't that true? We have the hardest time when we just get a little bit inconvenienced or said something that really didn't mean to be offensive, but we took it offensive and we just can't forgive. We have the hardest time with things that are not nearly like that. Often our offense turns to bitterness, then callousness, and then flat-out rejection of, of that person. That's where unforgiveness leads every time. Our refusal to forgive can lead to disastrous consequences. Families implode, friends are separated, churches split. Why? Because we can't forgive. We can't forgive. In fact, Refusal to forgive is a self-centered act, not to mention a disobedient act to God. Now, that's harsh, I know. Sandra told me this morning, be kind when you speak. <laughs> be, be nice. So I'm trying to be nice by saying that when you don't forgive, you're sinning. <laughs> Now, obviously, this topic prompts a lot of questions about forgiveness, and we don't have time to go through all the questions. Does that mean I turn a blind eye to offenses? No, listen, if you can, if your brother, someone, you know, offends you, then what are you to do? If you, if you can't just love him and work through it and just blow it off, then go to him and say, hey, look, brother, you offended me. That is the obligation of the person who's been offended. You go to them. Say, I've been offended. If they don't listen to you, take a second person. If you don't, then we go to the church. That's the biblical mandate. Okay. What isn't the biblical mandate is to not do anything and be bitter and angry. That just destroys. That's a cancer waiting to happen. 
Well, some think, well, forgiveness, does that mean that you don't talk about justice and accountability? Well, absolutely not. Okay? Most of us want justice when our rights are violated, amen? But we would like forgiveness when we do wrong, too. So forgiveness does not mean there's no justice. Justice is not the rejection of the person. It's just a statement of truth, including an assessment of cost, restitution, and prevention. You can forgive somebody and still the justice can be served. I always use the illustration about, and I've, I've probably worn this one out, but it just fits so well. You know, if I was a, back when I was growing up, by the way, this is a fictional story, so this story doesn't need to get to my dad. It's fictional. Uh, well, he would know, actually. Uh, if my dad told me don't take the car, and I took the car, and I went and wrecked it, okay, not only did I disobey God, but now I wrecked the car, right? I come back to him, dad is not going to be happy with me. So what should I do? Well, obviously, to restore the relationship, I would go to him and ask for forgiveness. Dad, I'm sorry I disobeyed you. I took the car. Forgiveness makes sense. And my dad would offer forgiveness. All right? And that makes sense. To restore the relationship, that's what happened to happen. The problem is we still got a damaged car. The consequences are there. So guess what? Well, Eric probably needs to pay for the damages of the car. Justice is served. Is there forgiveness? Yes. Is there still justice? Yes. Yes. So forgiveness doesn't mean there's no justice. Forgiveness also does not mean that there are no accountability. Listen, you can forgive and then set up some boundaries. It's totally appropriate to do such things. You set up boundaries so that we won't destroy more relationships. Nothing wrong with these things. But the key is forgiveness of the heart. Listen, you know, forgiveness really comes down to this. Some people think, well, being forgiving people is kind of weak. No, it's not. It's totally strong because I'm trusting in a sovereign God who's going to work everything out. That's forgiveness. It's not that you're a doormat. It's that you're trusting sovereign God is going to work out everything else. So forgiveness needs to be a part of our lives. And Paul is saying to these Christians, look, when you've been sinned upon, don't respond in kind with sin. Break the cycle. Instead, respond in a supernatural way, a way only that God can help you do, which would lead to forgiveness. And forgiveness provides at least, at least, a foundation where reconciliation can occur. Listen, if you don't forgive, you'll never be able to reconcile. It's true. Forgiveness provides the foundation that we can now restore and rebuild that relationship. So forgiveness. Paul says, put off all the natural responses and put on the new self, who you are in Christ. Forgive. Be kind, be compassionate, and forgive. And Paul gives us the greatest reason why we should forgive. And that is this. We are forgiven. There is the greatest reason why we should forgive. Because we are forgiven. Notice how Paul puts it in this passage. 
He says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. Notice, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Wow, how can we not forgive when God has forgiven us so very much? So very much. I want you, if you have your Bibles, quickly turn to Matthew chapter 18 with me. Jesus says exactly this. And I think it would be worthwhile for us to just read it. You know, they say the Bible is its best commentary. Absolutely. Here's the words of our Lord in regard to this issue. Matthew chapter 18, we're going to begin in verse, actually we're going to begin in verse 21. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In essence, don't do the math. He's saying you just keep forgiving. And he goes on and tells this parable. Notice, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began to settle the account, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. That's an insurmountable amount. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees and before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant master took pity on him and canceled the debt. And let him go. But when the servant went out, he found out his fellow servants who owned him a hundred denarii. Incredibly small amount. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But this servant who was forgiven, he refused. Notice, but he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? There's the punchline. And in his anger, his master turned over to the jailers who tortured him until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus says, this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Could that be any more clearer? We forgive because we are forgiven. Some, you know, like the unmerciful servant, all of us had a debt that we couldn't pay to, to God. Sin has separated us from holy God. There wasn't a thing that I can do to reconcile my relationship with God. I couldn't do enough good works. I couldn't do enough religious acts. There was nothing I can do. 
My sin was too great. Yet, God sent his son on my behalf. Took on my debt on a cross. And when I came to the point that I realized I couldn't owe it, that I was a sinner, that I was not right with God, and I repented like the unmerciful and said, forgive me, forgive me of my debts. And I believed that what Jesus did was sufficient for me. At that point, I was forgiven. My sins were forgiven. The debt was paid. And that day that I repented, you know, many times we are like that wicked servant. We've had so much forgiven, but yet when someone just bumps us the wrong way, we act like this unmerciful servant, and we want justice, and we want our rights, and we want vengeance, and we don't forgive. And Jesus says that we need to forgive from There's a great story about a Methodist pastor, Charles Allen, who wrote, when he was in the fourth grade, the superintendent of the school mistreated him. And there was no doubt about it, he was being mistreated. It was a deliberate wrong which the man committed because he had fallen out with his dad. And so he got the brunt in of it. The Allens moved from the town and years passed. Well, one day Charles, during his first pastorate, heard this old antagonist was seeking a job with the schools in his area. Charles knew as soon as he told his friends on the school board about that man that they would not hire him. But this is what he writes. He says, I went out to get in my car to go see some of the board members and suddenly it came over me what I had done. Here I was trying to represent him who was nailed to the cross and me carrying a grudge. That realization was a humiliating experience. I went back into my house, knelt by my bedside and said, Lord, if you will forgive me of this, I will never be guilty anymore. That experience and that promise are among the best things that ever here he was, had a perfect opportunity to show vengeance, to get back for all the hurt that he experienced. And as he went to go do it, he realized that, you know what, he is representing someone who hung on a cross for him. And how could he? How could he not forgive? He went back and forgave. That is forgiveness. And that is who we are in Christ. How can we, after Jesus has hung on a cross for us, not forgive others? How can we? We'll end with this. Four-year-old was praying one night, and he'd been listening in church, and he just couldn't get the word trespasses. So he said, and forgive us our trash baskets as we forgive those 
who put trash in our baskets. Brethren, that's our prayer this morning. May God help us to forgive, to forgive those who put trash in our baskets, those who hurt us. Why? Why should we do that? Because we have experienced God's forgiveness. And let's be a light that shows it to those around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for this opportunity we've had to look into your word. And Father, again, we are challenged by your word. There are so many times that we get hurt. Father, there are times when either deliberately or unintentionally people hurt us. And Father, help us in those times to not let anger fester in our hearts. Help us not to give the devil an opportunity, but Lord, help us to look to you for our strength. May we truly dig in and get strength from you and, and forgive because we have been forgiven. Father, it's our prayer as a church that we would be a light in this community for you. And we realize that that happens in the way that we interact with one another. So Father, as people look at our lives, help them to see forgiveness in us. Give us the strength that we need. So I pray this morning for the one who may be this morning sitting here who has bitterness in their heart. I pray, Father, that you would give them the courage and the strength to turn it over and to forgive. And Father, I pray for um, the one that might be here this morning that cannot say that they're forgiven by you. Father, I pray that you would help them understand that you sent your son to pay that debt of their sin on a cross by the death of Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that you would draw their heart and realize that they are separated from you and the only way that they can be right is to repent of those sins, ask for your forgiveness, and believe in what Jesus has done. So Father, I pray that you would just uh, work in our hearts this morning and that may we all leave here knowing that we are right with you that we are shining light for you. We thank you, Father. We give you praise. And we ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing. I don't know what's on your heart. Maybe you've got some issues of bitterness. You need to turn them over to God. Listen, the altar is here. Get it right with him this morning. Maybe you need to make a step and say, okay, God, you know I've been holding back from you. I'm going to follow you in baptism. I'm going to be a part of this church. Look, come down and see me this morning. Maybe you don't know God. Maybe you can't say that your sins are forgiven. Come see me. Or see me after services. Don't leave here this morning with not being right with God. As we sing.